1: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Special night for Sabres fans as Ryan Miller has his jersey number 30 retired by the team. We'll have the ceremony in a couple of hours, and the game an hour and a half after it begins. 7.30 tonight for Sabres Islanders. Joining us now on the West Hur Hotline is Sabres General Manager Kevin Adams. Kevin, thanks for joining us today.
2: No problem. How are you guys doing?
0: Pretty good, I think. Um, Excited about tonight. So, you and Ryan were, for the most part, contemporaries in your NHL careers. I, I saw that you scored against them. I don't know if you remember it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I do. I didn't score that many goals, so I do remember it. Actually, it was a two-on-one in uh, in Buffalo and uh, a nice pass, I think, by Justin Williams. And I one time it. I think I had most of the net. So if I missed that one, uh, <laughs> I would still remember for sure.
0: And it was a goal here, so maybe that made it uh, more special. I wondered, like, just how uh, many times you would have crossed paths with him. I mean, you didn't play with him, but you have the Western New York connection. How well do you know, Ryan?
2: Well, so... If you go back to the old five oh six season, um, certainly he he burst on the scene as a rookie and uh, got to know him quickly as how talented he was. And you know, you you think back on that year, the, the Hurricanes and the Sabers were like mirror images of each other. We both had rookie goaltenders within a point or two in the standings. Obviously, the long playoff battle, and so got to know him competing against them, but. Actually, when I got hired here in 09 and, and my first job was in player development is where I really got to know Ryan um, mm-hmm. as a person. And then I spent two years assistant coach with, with him on the team. Um, so coached him as well. And so have a, have a, got to know him really well, obviously, over those four years and strong relationship with Ryan and just uh, really excited to have him back in town. And he's meant a lot to the organization, but he's also meant a lot to the community. And I think that's what makes tonight even more special.
3: Yeah, I mean Kevin, I think the timing couldn't possibly be any better. We we've had a year with the Bills here and, and your team too, but you know, we're thinking about the Bills with the playoffs here and we've spent a lot of time talking about the connectivity between the fans and the team even just this week with everything that's happened here, uh tragedies and and other other just all sorts of adversity and I read the piece today that Ryan posted with Players' Tribune that made it exactly that point. Like, as a player, here was different than everywhere else he ever played. There, It felt like everyone was in it together, the players and the fans as one. And that's uh, that's powerful.
2: You know what? That's cool to hear. I, I have not seen the piece that you're, you're speaking about. But, you know, you guys have heard me say this now for a while. Um, I really, truly believe in this town you, there has to be – an emotional connection between the fan base and the team and the team and the fan base. And I think there is um, palpable energy that goes back and forth in this building and this town when you have that. And candidly, I'll say before um, I don't think we had that for a while. It got lost and it's been really important part of our vision and strategy to make sure as we're working, you know, to bring talent to Buffalo and build this team We also build a team that wants to be here and a team that the community can be proud of. So I think Ryan's certainly a shining example of that. And our players, you know, we're talking about it this morning as I was spending some time with them talking about him and guys coming in, the alumni guys, and, you know, I was sharing some stories about what these guys meant to the community. And I just – I'm proud of that because I think it goes a long way um, for what we're trying to do here. How – going
0: further, if you would, Kevin – do you create that bond from the team to the fans and not the other way around? It seems like winning would be one way, but I know you're, what you're saying is that it's more than that. How do you create that from your side of it?
2: Well, you know what, Mike, honestly, I think it's it's having conversations and helping our players understand, you know, what the community is all about here and what the fan base... Um, I guess the better way to say it is, like, when you're a player and you can look up in the stands and you look up in the 300 level and you see someone wearing your Jersey or you see, you know, a family and their kids are with them knowing that they're paying, you know, hard earned money to come watch you play. There's just a special connection. And I've continuously reminded our players about um, the importance that they have in this community. And yes, it's a sport and it's entertainment, but you know people work really hard and come either down to the down to the stadium or turn on the game at night to enjoy it and to watch their favorite team and players play and i just i lived it as a kid and as a fan and i just think we we have an obligation to this community to make them proud and so i think just the way you do it is by being honest and telling stories and you also want to talk to your players about get to know the people in this town you know you're you're not just a Person that's moving through. You're part of a, a special place to live and get to know your neighbors and talk to people in the grocery store. And and I'm and I believe that's the type of people now we have in our locker room, and that's really special.
3: One last thing from me on on, on this angle anyway, Kevin, uh, would be just, just this observation. Uh, you know, tonight will be sold out, and regardless of how your team had been performing recently or on balance of the whole season, it probably would have been that anyway, right? And we saw that last year, uh, Eichel Knight, uh, his return with Vegas. It wasn't his, like no. Eichel Knight anyway, <laughs> but forgive the sloppiness, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, his return, and then, of course, RJ Knight. I was in the building a couple Saturdays ago for Minnesota Wild on a Saturday night, and it was packed, and it was, for me, the first time I'd been in there, and maybe the first time a lot of people have been in there without a special event happening, or some sort of a draw, like Go Yell at Eichel, uh, was last spring. Um, and it was powerful for me. I mean, I, you know, hockey's meant a ton to me and my family, obviously. You know that, and, and our audience knows that. And walking out of there Saturday night with fans singing, it was amazing. And it gives you, I wonder, from your position, like a glimpse of what it could be regularly again, hopefully sometime soon.
2: Yeah, you know what, that game was uh, incredible uh, for a lot of reasons. It was a wild game. Um, well, not to use that word, that was the opponent. <laughs> but it was it was one of those games back and forth. Uh, what I get the chills thinking about it. I don't know if you remember Bulldog, but about two minutes to go in that game, maybe it was a little delay in the faceoff for some reason, and everybody was standing and just cheering and yelling and clapping. And it was special because there's, that's not uh, manufactured. That's just authentic. And, you know, I think what our players took from that was, wow, like they, the people care about and they're appreciating what we're doing. And that's what I'm talking about. That's special. And when you start to get that bond, um, everybody feels it. You know, I was just downstairs uh, at the Harbor Center meeting my son real quick uh, 20 minutes ago, and a fan came over to me and lives in Miami, Florida, and flies in for 15 games a year, and says he's never been more excited about the team. And I and I, and I sense that our fans now are getting excited about the, the players they're seeing and the. The energy that they're seeing our team play with now we have to get a lot better and a long way to go but i think that people now are starting to get excited and want to come to the games and that's a big deal
0: flies in from miami 15 times yeah. a year that's commitment
2: impressive <laughs> very impressive
0: <laughs> kevin so we've been saying for a few days here get in your seats by before six o'clock the game's at seven thirty. so what are we talking about like the, the ceremony will of course take place on the ice I mean, it's going to be lengthy.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. If, I, I can't even actually spoil anything because I don't know much about it out okay, of my okay. uh, area. But what I do know is, um, Dave, the, the business side of our organization and game presentations worked extremely hard on this for months. And, um, you know, I think there's going to be some pretty cool tributes and a lot of different uh, videos and, you know, certainly just hearing Ryan, you know, get to speak and share his thoughts. I think will bring back a lot of great memories for, for Sabre fans. And, um, yeah, and I hope, you know what, it's nice that uh, it's, everybody can be here early. And just these are, these are special nights. You know, even, even for me and the job that I have every day, um, sometimes you have to just take a step back and look around and just be appreciative of the opportunity I have personally, but that we all have to enjoy something like this.
0: Uh, yeah, his humanity always comes through when he speaks, too. So he's excellent to listen to. With Sabres GM, Kevin Adams, Mike Shope and the Bulldog here on WGR. To the team, Kevin, you've lost five out of six here going into tonight's game. What don't you like?
2: Uh, yeah, like, so we, you, as you guys know, we've had a uh, really challenging schedule. Uh, I think we're playing our ace game tonight in 12 nights. And I think it's showed in some of our losses where we just did not have, there's two sides of being fatigued. There's the mental and there's the physical. And what I think is happening with our group right now is with as young and inexperienced as we are, we're learning how to play when you don't maybe feel your best or the energy isn't quite there. And what I've seen is us maybe actually trying to do too much, trying to, do overdo it, uh, complicate it. When when you're not feeling your best, you actually have to do the opposite. Less is more. Shorter shift length, chip pucks in, and just try to just you know manufacture energy in different ways. So those are lessons we're learning. Um, I think in our stretch where we were we won a you know bunch of games there, and um, there were maybe some games that we weren't as sharp and we found a way. And there's been a couple games in here where I thought we actually played really well overall, and um, the opposite happened. So. Um, it's talking about it. It's learning from it. And it's also our players. Now um, there's a difference when we lose a hockey game, there's a, a, the personal standard has been raised down in our locker room and there's an expectation amongst that room that it's not acceptable and it'll get fixed. And now we're learning how to fix those things in a challenging time. So um, I'd say that's kind of what I'd take from it. Um, We haven't been sharp enough in certain areas, but there's also been a lot of good things too.
3: How much of a focus, organizationally, is there on the standings? And I know that might sound like an absurd question to ask someone who's the general manager of a professional sports team. But we know, like, the build, like, last year, I wouldn't have really asked you about the standings. Um, But you're kind of in a race here right now, or exactly in a race, maybe not kind of at all in a race. So... What's the approach? I mean, you've got the, this young group. You, you want to let it grow, um, but at the same time, is there any temptation to do something to maybe push the timeline forward a little bit? With you know the trade deadline approaching in a couple of months.
2: Yeah, I think I think from my perspective, um, and you guys have heard me talk about this, you have to you have to have a vision, you have to have a plan, and you have to do things. Um, methodical in terms of the decision you make and the process of how you make decisions in saying that you have to wake up every day and, and try to figure out how to make your team better and also be willing to adjust your plan as you go. What you don't want to do in my opinion though, is, is make an emotional decision that may be a short term kind of bump or something mm-hmm. short term that doesn't fit ultimately with where you're headed. What we're really trying to do here is build, you know, this organization for sustainable success. And we're going to look at opportunities. We're going to look at what makes sense for us, but what we won't do is, um, you know, a move that just bumps us a little bit right now and costs us a little more later. So, you know, we're going to be mindful of that, but I don't think totally anything changes in the sense of like where exactly we are in the standings. It's more about how do we improve today and then decisions we make, how do we improve the long term? So, um, but I think it's, also part of where you sit in the standings is is just like you get up every day and say, Okay, if we if we get better today, the standings, the results, all this stuff's gonna take care of itself. And it's and it's so challenging in the NHL because you play such a tough schedule and so many games that you can kinda lose focus of that. So we the coaches and myself, we talk a lot about just staying present, stay in the moment, you know, take care of today, win the moments of today and then let's move on to tomorrow.
0: Kevin, uh, Hinnestroza threw waivers to Rochester, Paterka up. You've been doing this dance here for more than a week with the roster. I'm guessing you're relieved that you don't have to do that, at least for now, anymore?
2: Yeah. You know, guys, this is one of these situations where um, this is exactly what I was just talking about. So you have kind of a plan, and we wanted to make sure going into this year that UPL was getting minutes, getting starts. Um, and you even probably heard me say it to me, it ultimately wasn't about which league he was in. it was about him getting better and his development and whereas yet So he came up when the opportunity provided itself um, with the comary in injury and he's played very well and he's also shown um a calmness and against opponents' buildings the, it didn't matter to him it was just it was he was playing and playing well. And then we wanted to be really careful of that because we didn't want to disrupt where he's at and his rhythm. So we made a decision, you know, a week and a half ago or whatever it was now that, okay, let's let's work our way through this. I was totally comfortable kind of pulling some of our young, young players out of the lineup for a game or two just to give them some rest, let them catch their breath, you know, work out, you just get their energy and strength up a little bit. But to me, that wasn't ultimately the solution um, moving forward. So always want to be respectful of where guys are um the veterans and and how you treat them so had honest conversations with vinny i uh, was you know working on if there was an opportunity to move them um it didn't materialize so uh, you know we put him on waivers and now we'll see where we go from here um but ultimately we want to make sure that we keep our young players in the lineup developing in the rhythm and that's why we got to the decision we got to with vinny
0: okay you have a new boss i
2: read well not really he's uh <laughs> so it's a little different the way we do it john ross is come in and and kind of uh he'll be the ceo reporting into the Pagulas on the business side and i report to the Pagulas on the hockey side and we'll work together so um not okay. that that really matters but it's uh it's exciting he's a good good person and great experience and someone that the Pagulas have known for a number of years now so looking forward to getting to him going
0: okay
3: where do things stand with, with you as it pertains to Eric Portillo, Kevin? Like, um, we, we've heard some reporting um, about him potentially being uh, a trade piece, his rights anyway, being a trade piece. I'm curious what kind of market, if that's correct, um, what kind of market you would anticipate there being for someone considering that he can become an unrestricted free agent in the summer and basically choose where he goes. Um, where do things stand there?
2: Yeah, it's a, not not knowing how much you guys know exactly when it comes to the CBA or our fans know, but you know, this is a situation where a player has the right as a, you know, a college where he can go the free agent route if he chooses. Um we we think he's a very good prospect. We've been, you know, working for a while to hopefully get get him signed and we we're hoping to do that last year it didn't happen um so it, it's one of these situations we're monitoring I'm in you know constant communication with his camp and we're going to have to look at it honestly um we it's a little bit out of our hands when it comes to decisions he wants to make but we'll be proactive and have conversations around the league um what I do think is he's a legitimate NHL prospect a six-six goalie that um has had a good body of work so if we can find um, the right place and it makes sense for us, we would look at that. And if uh, and if not, you know, we'll kind of have to just monitor it after his season. But that's where we're at with him. Um, you know, and these these are tough situations sometimes. Um, but you know, you deal with what you what you're dealt with, and that's that's how we'll do it with him
3: where with with that in mind where are you guys what's your expectation on Devin Levi do you have an idea what what his plans may be once this college season is over
2: yeah we will we would uh, like to get him signed immediately um, after his season's over we had great we've had great conversations with him dating back to last year and you know we talked about timing of him last year would it be the right time to sign Um, you know he felt that he loves this organization and loves the opportunity that he sees in front of him, but he felt that probably another year of school would made more sense at that point. And, you know, we were comfortable with that, but yeah, he's a player that we'd like to get uh, moving on as soon as his college season's over. He knows that Uh, his, his people know that, but you know, we also want to be respectful. He's in a, he's in a college season right now. He, you know, they have a good team. They're looking, you know, they get into the back half of their season, so, you know, we'll support them. But um, that's certainly a player we we have extremely high hopes for and we think is going to be a really good NHL goaltender.
0: All right, Kevin, uh, good luck tonight. Enjoy that ceremony. I think fans will, and uh, hopefully you can turn things back around here.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoy it if you're in the building, and uh, look forward to the next time I'm on with you.
0: Thank you. Kevin Adams, Sabres GM. 6 o'clock for the Ryan Miller ceremony. We'll carry it live And then uh, not until 7.30 for face-off tonight.
3: Kevin's appearance, by the way, here with us uh, on the show is brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. And by Losi and Ganji, workers' compensation and personal. Call from mom. Answer it. Call
0: silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make
2: ordering from your couch easy.
4: I thought the
0: – I think the Hinnestroza move was the right move. You know, you try make some effort to trade him. I can see why that wouldn't be easy because um, it's the money, you know, and the spot mm-hmm. more than it is like the draft pick probably.
3: Yeah, not. I, I wasn't surprised that he didn't get claimed, and that's not because I don't think the player has any value around the league. I'll bet there were – my guess would be there were numerous teams that would have loved to add him to their bottom six – um but the salary like to everybody that is good that that, m- that might need a player for you know injury purposes or whatever is probably up against the cap and that makes it tough to, to get a guy with that salary not that it's exorbitant but it's still for a role player uh, a pretty hardy salary so um he stays in the organization
0: 17 million a year just a little bit more than teams want to pay mm. for Vinny Hinestroza.
3: I think I get a check. Is, my are my numbers that, that off? doesn't sound right. No, I, I, don't, I don't think
0: so. They're right here. <laughs> Sabres, a few points behind. I think it's five points behind the Islanders, who are also themselves on the outside. So an important game in that way. Saturday is Anaheim, a home game at uh, 1230 Saturday. Anaheim has four regulation wins. This year, come on, yeah, yeah. That's... In forty-five games, they have four, they have eight overtime shootout wins, so it's twelve and thirty-three, but they have four regulation wins. Travis Yost wrote a thing about how he thinks they're the worst modern era team ever. Anaheim, we 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 have seen firsthand what it can look like, and he's mm. like they're worse, or at least arguably worse than like the pre-Eichel Sabers, and I don't know who else. They're not even in last place in their in the league. There's two teams one point behind Anaheim uh, in the standings, but
3: yeah, one, yikes. Of them, one of them just beat the Sabres. That's
0: right. <laughs> Minus eighty five in goals through forty five games, four regulation wins. Ouch. They'll be here Saturday. Islanders tonight. Bills, Bengals Sunday in the divisional round. Sal Capaccio joins us next to fill us in, injury and practice type stuff, and just more on the matchup we're all excited about. Sunday afternoon at 3. Mike in the Bulldog here. This is WGR.
4: It's Sal Capaccio.
5: Filling up right behind the Bills' bench right now with their flags and their hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. hey, hey. hey, hey. Let's go, Buffalo chant
1: On WGR, Sports Radio Let's 550.
0: Counting down the days to Sunday, 3 o'clock, Bills and. Bengals kicking off at the stadium. Mike up and the Bulldog here. Sal Capaccio on the West Her Hotline. A little bit less time than usual with Sal when we tend to stretch out and sometimes even get a little silly. But here, as I'm wasting time even describing this needlessly, <laughs> the injury report is out
5: for this game, and things are looking up, or at least uh, pretty good for the Bills. Yeah, I think they're about as healthy as they've been in a long time, guys. Um, they do have two players, two defensive tackles. Daquan Jones and Jordan Phillips who've been limited but they've been practicing this week which is good news especially when it's early in the week and you know we're not getting early now but two straight days of practice that's good and Jordan Poyer was limited with the knee and today did not practice but I wouldn't worry too much about that it's a knee slash vet rest so my my assumption is they're just giving him more time with the knee they want him as healthy as can be on Sunday and it shouldn't be an issue.
3: Yeah, I feel like Phillips' Sal, We talked, you and I did yesterday, you know, about you know taking advantage of a depleted offensive line. You know that was the case in last Sunday's wild card win over Miami, and it, you know, it's it's another situation where you want to see the Bills sort of you know dominate up front against a depleted offensive line with Cincinnati. And I feel like Phillips, his style of playing, like not to pigeonhole him and say he's just like a one one trick guy, but I feel like penetrating and getting upfield is his thing, and maybe that's something they miss when
5: he's not around hundred percent I mean that's um a big part of his game, and it really kind of showed up his first time around with the bills when he had those nine and a half sacks, and then he went out to um Arizona and he played for the Cardinals, and then he came back. I remember when he resigned, we were at the press conference for his you know um resigning here at Buffalo in March, and I said you know, your your first few years in the league, you really didn't put up sack numbers, and all of a sudden you have the nine and a half. you go to Arizona, what do you have, like three and a half or something? He put up a few numbers there. And I said, what's been the difference? (laughs) He looked very seriously at me, which Jordan Phillips does, and he says, I was never asked to do it.
6: (laughs) So I'm like, okay,
5: well, I guess that's the difference, right? I mean, like, it's it's what the role is you're asked to do sometimes. And I think that shows, though. I mean, if he's been asked to be a penetrator, he can be a penetrator, and he's done a very good job of that. And I think that... You know, given the situation on the Bengals' offensive line, I do think that the Bills' defensive line will probably want to penetrate, get to him, don't let him sit back there. I look, this is just a dovetailing off this. I've read a lot and seen a lot of you know people talking about the defensive line last week against the Miami Dolphins, and you know, not necessarily taking advantage of their guys banged up and getting to Skylar Thompson. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that was the game plan for them to penetrate. I think it was. We're just going to make sure you can't run on us because we could trust that Skylar Thompson won't beat us through the air if he has a little time. Anyway,
0: that seems to be maybe. I guess I, I wasn't here yesterday to to know, but the number one topic about this game, matchup wise, is yes. whether or not the Bills will be good enough there because we've seen Cincinnati and Joe Burrow succumb, and not in a while, I guess, but succumb at times to this kind of a you know to good pass pressure. He's not Allen, in how. Allen is maybe the best in the league in the, under under duress. Um, but can the Bills do it? The, the numbers are stark, Sal, pre- and post Von Miller's injury.
5: They are. Uh, they're not getting nearly as, not as much out of their pass rush. I mean, you would expect a drop-off, but I think that it's been even more so of a drop-off. And it's evidenced by the fact that the Bills themselves are blitzing more. Uh, they're sending more people to try and manufacture that pressure. I don't know if you're going to do that this week. Um, we may see a game where both teams are going to kind of just say, "Look, we're, we're going to try to get home with four, and not allow you to not allow Joe Burrow or Josh Allen to pick us apart." Because if you don't get home and you send extra guys, we got less guys to cover. And I think that's exactly the matchup. Like I think the number one matchup in this game is that Bills defensive yeah. line against the Bengals offensive line, and if those backups can do a good job, then it could be a tough day. But if but if the Bills defensive line can do what they should do and have been brought in here to do and paid to do, I think they can have success and get to Burrow and play with not having to blitz and putting some pressure on.
3: Yeah, we, we I, I mentioned this yesterday. I'm not sure if it was while you were on uh, with me or not, Sal, but we had Joe Goodberry on, and I know you and Matt Beauvais talked to to Joe yep. for your, your It's Always Game Day podcast, too, and maybe he dropped these numbers on you. I know he tweeted them, and I retweeted them. Like, the Ravens last year blitzed like crazy against Burrow, and, I mean, the numbers were gross. He killed them. This year, they cut way back uh on it and you know these last couple of games and especially this wild card game on uh, on sunday night they it worked for them so you know, I, you know i know there's different players and different schemes and whatnot but i would think the bills are aware of what burrow is capable of if they try to blitz and would know that baltimore did not do much of it at all and it worked but you got to win up front with your four that's the key
5: i agree and the other place and, and the other thing about doing that is it's not just Burrow. He's great, right? But their receivers can win one-on-one, and they can win early. And, and if you blitz and you have a guy win one-on-one early, it's, you know, bam. He's You're catching called. the ball. He's probably running for a little bit, you know, because you don't have yeah. anybody else there. So, yeah, that's all part of it. I agree with that. And, you know, since these two teams played in the game where, you know, the Monday night that that got canceled, each had two games. The Bills played the Patriots and the Dolphins, who are much different schematically. The, Ra- the Bengals played the Ravens and the Ravens, <laughs> and they played two games. And the Bills have eight quarters of a sample size here to take a look at what the Ravens did. Because if you go back to—and I, I, I understand the Bengals didn't probably put out their full force. I mean, they did play everybody, but I think they kind of maybe dialed a lot of things back in that, that regular season finale. But they have eight quarters of the Ravens really doing a nice job against the Bengals offense and I think that's a really good look for them film-wise. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll be interested to
0: see if the Bills want to do anything differently because they so rarely do. <laughs> you know, like other other matchups come and go and you might see a team, who is it that I'm thinking of? We talked about like this recently where what well, boy, I'm going to I'm going to stall us out trying to think of it, but you you see another team, I I guess it was against the Dolphins when the Chargers had success and the 49ers had success mm-hmm. and yep. the Bills kind of yeah did their thing so we'll see on the receivers point so we i've made this point a lot this year when when we're talking about gabe davis or whether the bills are just like are, do they have enough to go all the way this wide receiver two point that eric eager first brought up on our show sal like if you look through playoff history last year for starters the the value of having a second receiver step up just correlates very well to playoff success. And the Bengals are one of the first teams you might think of with Chase and Higgins. Last week, maybe ironically, not, not so ironically, but Davis had a big step up Mm -hmm. game for himself. We've seen him do it in the playoffs too, of course, and Higgins, a more, a more modest game. What, What is your analysis of the challenge the bills have in the
5: secondary against Chase and Higgins? It's a very big challenge. Those guys are great. Um, you know, they they have kind of their full gamut of arsenal of weapons. You know, the entire arsenal can do so much. You know, Chase is just such a <clears throat> excuse me, such a complete receiver. And T. Higgins is what, six four, two twenty. 220. You know, he's a big guy and he can do a lot. Um, he can high point the ball. He you know, boy out of the slot. He's a tough matchup. Taron Johnson to me is maybe the best slot corner in the league and I think that even you know, it's a tough matchup for him even. Um so they have everything there and then you have out of the backfield they can throw to guys. They have a tight end they can throw to, but it's a very big challenge for the Bills receivers. And I do wonder, Mike, going back to say you saying I wonder if they'll do anything different. I wonder if the Bills play a little more man to man in this game. I wonder if they say, "Look, we're going to we're going to, you know, not we're going to try and get home with four, but we're going to have to be a little more physical and long because these guys, they're a little bit longer and maybe disrupt them at the line of scrimmage because if we can get to Burrow, quick enough with four. If we can disrupt them, that throws off the timing because the Bengals are built on a quick passing game. You know, they have this reputation to be this high-flying offense. They don't really throw the ball downfield a ton. They throw the ball downfield when they can, and they have opportunity, but they like the quick passing game. They like to get the ball to those guys, and Burrow's very good at it. I think they'll try to do that here. I cannot imagine the Bengals wanting... Joe Burrow to do five- and seven-step seven, seven step drops with three backup offensive linemen. They're going to say three steps out, and I think for the Bills, that you have to disrupt that early on.
0: On the road, too, right? That would be part of your thinking yeah. in the preparation is, you know, we saw how much trouble <laughs> Bill Stadium has a reputation as, as it is, but Miami having the problems it did with communication, you know, the, the instinct here might be to simplify. I'd be impressed if they, A, Don't react like that or prepare like that. And then B, pull it off. Because I could see a lot of teams wanting to just, you know, account for this when they come here to play.
5: Yeah, and look, you talk about the second receiver. What's funny is, and Joe Goodbury brought this up too, and I'm sure he did probably with you guys, but second receivers have actually beaten the Bengals a lot more this year. Because the way they design their offense is to try and take away your number one receiver. And they've done a pretty good job of that. But they don't really have the matchups on the outside then. And if you're gonna away a number one, then usually another team's number two is going to beat their, you know, second guy or second and third, however you wanna term it, the way they do it. And I'm looking back, like Mike Evans, five for eighty three, Jacoby Myers like six for eighty something. These are the number two receivers on teams after somebody else had a better day against them. This is most recently. So That's something I think the Bills can take advantage of, too. So you go back to your question about the Bills and what they have and Gabe Davis. Like, to me, this is a Gabe Davis game. This is a game where playoff Gabe. If you get playoff Gabe in this game, it could be a really nice day for the Bills passing attack.
3: Back to defending their receivers. And you mentioned, you know, just the thought of maybe more man. Um, I, of course, me and I'll bet a lot of Bills fans went, OK, Elam, right? I mean, he came out of college with that reputation. We wondered even when they picked him, does this mean they're going to try to implement more of, of those concepts here and get and give, you know, give give themselves the opportunity to have more varied looks. Um, against opposing offenses and you know the year's been kind of uneven there's been inactivity and low snap counts uh last week he gets put in a big spot comes comes down with that pick and then the, the pass defense at the end of the game Benford is back like what what do you think will happen like is Elam ready to be trusted more or do you think it's still Dane Jackson
5: I'd like it to be Elam not any, not because you know anything Dane Jackson did wrong. He's had some rough patches, but I just think that this could be a matchup where you could get a really big play from a guy that I think has played better. He's understanding a lot of concepts better. Um, it seems like he's more comfortable. Dane Jackson might might be the safer play, if you will, and a guy they trust more. And I understand that. And if the Bills yep. go that route, I completely get it. But maybe you get a play from Kyrie Elim like you got last week. You might need that in a game like this. And he is longer. You know, he I don't think he's super physical. But I think his length allows him to be a little more physical if he wants to. And I think he's feeling more comfortable doing that. But he is a better man-to-man corner than zone corner sometimes. And I wonder if mm-hmm. you go back to when he was inactive and a healthy scratch. I wonder if that's it. Like, is that why? Because maybe he just wasn't understanding the zone concepts enough to trust him to put him in those situations because you know he came in with a reputation of a guy who could do all these things but really I think you know learning learning zone defense at the NFL level is not easy for a guy who hasn't done it a ton and he wasn't asked to do it a lot in college and you know he was known as a guy who could get up on you could press you a little bit and not a physical guy in the sense that like, he's going to be laying the wood and coming up and mm-hmm. tackle, but he can get his hands on you. And I think that maybe in a, in, a, in a matchup like this, that could serve them very well, going back to trying disrupting things off the line of scrimmage.
1: Sal, thank you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
6: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: We'll talk tomorrow on the roundtable.
5: Okay, guys. Thank you.
3: That's right, our man, Sal Capaggio on the Hur Hotline. His appearances are always brought to you by New York's only outlet liquor. When you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet?
0: A lot of talk toward the end of the season. Remember the pregame show when the Bills were in Cincinnati talking with Chris Brown and Eric Wood about how, man, doesn't it feel like you guys have been on the road constantly this year, all those trips. This will be three straight home games now since, and there's still a chance at four.
3: Go Go Jaguars.
0: Jaguars, eight-and-a-half-point underdogs at the Chiefs, first game of the weekend Saturday. Ryan Miller night. Doors are open at the arena We'll have the ceremony for you starting at 6. Face-off, Sabres Islanders scheduled for just after 7.30. Ross Tucker coming up in about 15 minutes. Mike Schopen the Bulldog here, WGR. Ryan Miller night at the Sabres. We've got the ceremony in just over an hour. Fans are encouraged to be in place by 6 or even a few minutes before. 7.30, Sabres Islanders. Mike Schopen the Bulldog, Ross Tucker coming up. Beginning, we talked about so, Bulldogs, like where, when you, when you think of Ryan Miller, what's the visual? What's the game or the moment or the setting? Where, what, what do you see? I liked your answer. It was like you saw him on the bench kind of meditating before games. Yep. That's, a, that's a great, that's a great get, uh, pull. It's a great answer. Thank you. Wh- wherever it is, whenever it is, he wore all the uniforms, Miller, with the Sabres. He spanned, <laughs> yeah. you know, white, black, red you yep. know blue yellow the other blue right i mean he yep he covered not yep. all their uniforms but many
3: yes he did yeah even the that scripted buffalo that was the royal blue you know that broke out from the navy um yeah he's he's yeah he's had he's had all that stuff on yeah that's kind of funny and i i don't know i i I saw on twitter like his favorite look and i don't know how that was established if he decided and, and told them what his favorite look was but i saw it was declared that the black uh you know goat 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 head jersey was was his best look but again i don't know if that was an online poll or if that was him saying that was my favorite look or what but
0: Anyway, well, that's what he's wearing when thinking about him and his team makes me the happiest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the start, like he, he leads them on the ice to start in those playoff games Philadelphia, then Ottawa, then Carolina. And those memories are indelible. And that's the black jersey, you know, in, in those games. Yeah, I can remember him. So can you, seeing him in all the different makes and models here. But <laughs> that's what makes me feel the best thinking about his career is in black. Ryan Miller, honored by the Sabres tonight. Again, the ceremony just over an hour away. We'll talk to Ross Tucker. He was here last weekend. He'll be back for the national radio broadcast for Bill's Bengals as well.
4: Ross Tucker, after sports. Mike up the Bulldog, WGR. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.